Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bound, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. We talk a lot about trade barriers, normally in the form of tariffs. But of course, there's a lot of other trade barriers out there as well. This week, we're going to talk about physical barriers to trade. We're going to talk about the effects of a border or even a physical wall. We'll be joined by Stephen Redding. Steve is the Harold T. Shapiro Professor in Economics at Princeton University. Hello, it's great to be here. So Stephen, what's the question that is at the heart of your research and why should we care about it? A key question underlying our research is, does market access matter? A key insight from recent theoretical research is that when you reduce trade barriers with other nations, you increase what's called market access, which broadly speaking is the access of consumers in your country to the goods of firms in other countries. At the same time, your firms get access to consumers in those other markets. And many authors have found there's a correlation or a close relationship in the data between high levels of market access and high levels of income per capita. However, a key challenge for the research is working out whether that relationship is causal. Does high income cause high market access because high income raises the demand for, for products? Or instead, does change in trade barriers affect income? How have economists in prior research tried to deal with those issues? I guess the initial way people looked at those issues was to take, say, a cross-section of countries, measure their market access, measure their income per capita, and see if there's a correlation across countries. So in other words, whether on average countries that have high market access also have high income per capita. But of course, the key challenge about just looking at that in the cross-section is that these two variables both affect one another. The causality runs in each direction. Another angle people have taken is to look at trade liberalization episodes. So for example, Gordon Hansen looked, uh, looked within Mexico and he found that when Mexico liberalized its trade policy, he saw a reorientation in economic activity within Mexico, away from Mexico City and towards the US-Mexico border. Although while that's uh, very informative, uh, one challenge about looking at trade liberalizations is that the initial level of tariffs before the trade liberalization has been determined by some lobbying and political process. So a good example would be a country might decide to protect a declining industry, say the textiles industry. And then when you have a trade liberalization, you might find that the textile industry doesn't revive very much, but that's because it was on a declining trend anyway, even without the change in trade policy. And so the change in market access has been obscured by this declining trend, uh, which drove the high level of protection to begin with. Let's talk about a paper of yours with Daniel Sturm from the London School of Economics called The Costs of Remoteness. Evidence from German division and reunification. So what's the question that you're trying to answer there? The key question is, how does a shock to market access affect the level of economic activity? And so to answer that question, uh, we use a natural experiment from history. We focus on the division of Germany in the aftermath of the Second World War and the reunification of East and Western Germany in 1990. Can you give us a bit more historical context to explain that path from integration to division to integration again? Uh, by the time of the Second World War, the different parts of Germany had been unified for many decades, uh, since the 1870s. They'd been closely integrated with extensive trade between these different parts of the country. And then in the aftermath of the Second World War, the two parts of Germany were divided. And so you had these regions that had been closely integrated for, for many decades. Indeed, many centuries had been high levels of trade in this region. And yet all of a sudden, these two parts of the country uh, were separated and trade between them uh, came dramatically to a close. And so people probably have in mind the Berlin Wall that didn't go up until the early 1960s. But even earlier than that, along the border between West and East Germany, there were actually physical barriers preventing 
people goods from being able to go back and forth. During the Second World War, there was a long political process negotiating what arrangements would the Allies adopt uh, for post-war Germany. And initially, there was no idea uh, to divide the country. Merely the country would be jointly occupied and jointly administered by a central institution. However, with the onset of the Cold War, relations between the Allies rapidly begin to disintegrate. And then very quickly after that, with the adoption of central planning in East Germany in 1949 and the desire to stem flows of refugees from the East Germany to, to the West, the East German government constructed this extensive set of border fortifications, which made it impossible for people to travel freely between East and West Germany, even though it was still possible within Berlin, uh, which was located around 200 kilometers to the east of the border between East and West Germany until 1961 with the construction of the Berlin Wall. I suppose you might be worried that they split the country according to perhaps which areas were poor and which areas were rich, and then that will interfere with your assessment of the impact of that border on economic activity. How do we rule that out? So a key feature of the experiment for our analysis is that the border was determined by political and strategic considerations and not by economic factors. In particular, the idea was to divide the areas of pre-war Germany that did not become part of Poland or Russia into three roughly equal areas, uh, which corresponded to the American zone of occupation, the British zone of occupation, and the Soviet zone of occupation. And then later on, the um, British and American zones were reduced in size to create a small French zone. So you can essentially treat that division in practice as random? Absolutely. We look at cities within West Germany that are close to the new border with East Germany, and we compare their economic growth performance over time to the economic growth performance of cities that are much further from that border with East Germany. And the idea there is that the cities that are closer to the border are likely to be worse affected by the reduction in, in market access. Absolutely, because those parts of West Germany that were close to, to what became East Germany had nearby trading partners uh, with whom they lost access to, whereas the cities in the far west of West Germany were much further away from those trading partners even before division. And so, therefore, they were much less affected by the division of Germany. The basic theoretical prediction, then, is the Western German cities that are close to the border are going to lose out. The Western German cities that are farther away from the border, no change. Okay, you're going to use a theoretical model to help us understand this. What are the channels through which these changes in market access should actually impact this economic activity? The model identifies three main channels through which the system of cities are affected by the division of the country. The first of these channels is what we call a cost of living effect. That means that consumers in West German cities lose access to the products that firms in the eastern part of the countries were producing. So for example, I might be a consumer in, in a city very in West Germany, very close to the border, and I might have my favorite schnitzel that's just produced the other side of the border. Immediately the border is closed, I lose access to my favorite product. And that raises my cost of living because I, I no longer have access to such a desirable bundle of goods. The second effect is what we call the home market effect, which means that firms in West Germany lose access to markets for their products east of the border. And so again, I might be a firm located in a city very close uh, to the new border that was previously selling its products in cities such as Leipzig, east of the border. I may have had a large market there, but immediately the, the border is, is closed uh, to international trade. I lose access to all consumers in that former market. So that first effect, the loss of my favorite schnitzel, is really working through consumers losing market access. And the second effect, maybe I'm a pretzel bakery and all of my customers were located on the other side of this new border, so I lose market access. So the firms are losing out as well. Okay, so what's the third effect? 
the third effect works the other way. The third effect is a competition effect. Well, previously, firms in these West German cities faced competition uh, from other firms in East Germany. When the border is closed, uh, they no longer face that competition because consumers only have access uh, to the goods produced by West German firms. So my pretzel company now faces less competition from bakeries on the other side of the border, and that means I can charge higher prices and offer higher wages, so that's an offsetting effect. But on net, when we aggregate up each of these three different channels, is there a clear prediction for what we would expect for this loss of market access on cities closer to the border? Absolutely. This model has a clear prediction that there are gains from trade in this model uh, because consumers uh, love varieties. They, have, they love having access to many different kinds of varieties from firms in many different cities. On average, we might expect to see living standards fall as a result of these trade barriers going up. Are there any differences between different types of cities? An interesting prediction of our model is it has a quite subtle prediction for the impact of division on cities of different sizes. In particular, a key prediction is that smaller cities are much more adversely affected by division than larger cities because smaller cities have much smaller own marks. So they're much more dependent on sales to other cities. Sales to other cities are a much larger share of their overall sales. Therefore, West German cities that are close to the border, if they're small, they really disproportionately suffer from this loss in access to nearby markets. So the intuition, if we think about countries, is small open economies are going to be more negatively impacted by bad trade or market access shocks because they're much more reliant on trade than, say, a large economy like the United States. The United States is, in relative terms at least, doesn't trade all that much with the rest of the world because it has such a huge domestic market. Absolutely. For large countries, most of their transactions are domestic. And so the gains from international trade are much smaller for large countries. They have much smaller trade shares. And in contrast, for small countries, many of their economic transactions are with their neighbors, with other nations. And so they have much larger gains from trade. The analogy is exactly the same at the city level. And it means that small cities are particularly badly affected by division. Let's go to the data. What is it that you actually look at? We put together a new database on the population of cities over time. Before the division of Germany, we collected data on the population of all cities that had more than 20,000 inhabitants in 1919. And then after division, we tracked the population of all cities in West Germany of that size every decade, all the way up to the fall of the Iron Curtain, and then again after the reunification of Germany. Can I ask why you focus on population rather than income per person? Population is the one key variable that we can track over a long period of time. And we need to do that to look at this natural experiment because we need data on these cities both before division, during the period of division, and after reunification. Can you tell us a little bit more about the cities that you're actually going to look at? Based on the idea that West German cities close to the new border are going to be more severely affected by division, we define two groups of cities. One is what we call the treatment group of cities, uh, which are within 75 kilometers of the new border with East Germany. The other group we term the control cities, uh, which are cities more than 75 kilometers from the new border. And the exercise will be to compare the cities that got treated with this new border with those that didn't, the, the control cities. That's right. And we look at their population growth both before division, during division, and after reunification. The model predicts that division leads to a reallocation of economic activity away from the treatment cities towards the control cities. And so we should see population growth in the treatment cities slow following division relative to the control cities. What do you find? We find that the population growth of the treatment cities within 75 kilometers of the new border falls by around 0.75 percentage points per year. So over the entire 38-year period of division, 
that implies a reduction in the relative size of the border cities compared to the non-border cities of around one third. That's huge. That's a really big change. Yes, and the effect is much stronger in the immediate aftermath of division. It's primarily people moving across cities. So actually in the immediate aftermath of division, the population of the treatment cities falls uh, in absolute terms relative to the control cities as people move away from the border region. So this new border has a really big effect on population and economic activity. It's very immediate. How about this differential you were talking about for small versus large cities? Does that show up in the data? Yes, that shows up very strongly. We find that small cities have a much sharper impact of division by more than uh, one percentage points per year compared to only around 0.4 percentage points for larger cities. But we define small cities as those that are below median size in 1919. Big picture, this decline in market access for these smaller cities is just really, really screwing them. Yes, these cities, formerly they were at the heart of an integrated Germany. Now they're on the edge of, of the Western world with no trading opportunities east of that new border. That seems like a really, really big effect to explain just through this, this trade avenue with the consumers not getting access to products and, and firms having differential competition. Really? Yeah, interestingly, we show the, that our model is able to actually explain these numbers. In fact, when we use our model to look at the impact of division, it generates estimated treatment effects very close to those we find in the data. So our mechanisms in the model of, of a loss of market access are actually able to match patterns that we see in the data quite successfully. And I suppose a counter to that might be, well, that model fits the data very well, but perhaps a different model with a different set of mechanisms might also fit the data very well? That's possible, although it's not obvious that any model would be able to replicate this finding that small cities are more adversely affected by division. And that's a very distinctive feature of our market access channel because of this idea that smaller cities have this much smaller own market so the fact that our model can explain not only the average effect of border cities relative to non-border cities, but that it can also explain the relative performance of small versus large cities is a strong piece of evidence in support of our explanation. So are there other potential explanations that you can rule out for these patterns of suffering cities close to the border? Yes, an important part of the paper is that we consider a wide range of other possible explanations. For example, one concern could be perhaps the border cities specialized in industries that happened to decline uh, following the construction of the, of the border between two parts of Germany. Another concern might be uh, Western economic integration. We know that in the period after division, uh, West Germany integrated with its Western partners, such as France and Belgium, and so perhaps that elevated population growth in the Western parts of, of Germany. And then another uh, potential uh, other concern could be maybe these findings could be explained by the fear of further armed conflict. And how do you rule those out? So to address the concern that these cities may have specialized in industries that declined after division, we actually match each treatment city close to the new border to a control city further from the border that has the same industry structure. And we show that even when you compare cities that have the same industry structure, you see that treatment cities experience this decline in population growth relative to control cities. To address the second concern about uh, Western economic integration, we look at cities in the far west of West Germany. But we see that they experience somewhat of an increase in population growth during the division period, which is consistent with a deeper Western economic integration. But we show that controlling for that doesn't affect the population decline of the cities close to the border with East Germany. A third concern was fear of further armed conflict in Europe. 
We think this is an implausible explanation for our findings because we find that the treatment effect of division is very concentrated in the immediate vicinity of the new border with East Germany. And it's very hard to imagine that if there'd been a further armed conflict between the Western Allies and the Soviets, it would have been localized to the immediate vicinity of the border. And then as a further check, we, we look at um, border cities in an area which is called the Fulda Gap, which was the area uh, through which the Warsaw Pact were widely expected to invade Western Europe in the event of a further armed conflict. And we show that border cities in the Fulda Gap do not decline more strongly than border cities outside the Fulda Gap. Donald Trump talks about erecting a big, beautiful wall between the United States and Mexico. And you can speculate about how close we are to that happening. There are similarly border questions between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Put simply, what does your research say about whether that's a good idea or not? I think our research has important implications there. A very strong pattern in international trade data is that countries trade most intensively with their neighbors, their immediate neighbors. And yet when we look around the world, we see lots of examples of countries that are neighbors but do not trade with one another. Well, India and Pakistan is a great example. Although trade relationships are thawing there recently, uh, for many decades they haven't traded with one another very intensively. Brexit is another great example of where the UK is rolling back its level of integration with other European countries. Our research suggests that there are going to be economic costs to policies that restrict trade with your immediate neighbors. We looked at that within West Germany, where we had a very clean natural experiment. But those ideas apply more widely. Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. And that's all for Trade Talks. We didn't get into all the details, but Steve's results on the changes in population growth taking place after the reunification of West and East Germany in 1990, or the restoration of market access, well, those results broadly confirm his other results in the paper. We'll tweet out the paper so you can read it for yourself. A really big thanks to Steve Redding at Princeton University for taking the time to join us here today. Huge thanks also to Colin Warren for breaking down our walls to understanding podcast audio. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to German natural experiments for trade, two sides of the wall are better than one.